up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. Little hiatus, but we are back. Sean, but we're not alone. Who we got with us today? We aren't, Ian. We we took some time off. We're going to get there in a minute. But we wanted to come back with a big splash. And who better to have than the host of the brand new Gluttons for Punishment podcast, Mr. Anthony Bruno. Bruno, thanks a lot for coming back on, buddy. How's everything going? Pretty good, guys. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I've been looking forward to it. It's been a few months now, so uh, happy to be back on. Thanks a lot. Well, you were one of our first guests, and we, we got a lot to get to. You know, at Toronto sports right now is just absolutely crazy. And But we do want to do a little bit of a disclaimer here. So we missed some time. That's because one of the stands actually is now currently employed. Ian started a new position. So the, the frequency of these podcasts will be irregular. We're still going to try for twice a week. A lot of times it'll be one and in certain weeks it might be zero, but we're going to continue to pump out content. We love to do this. Ian, how was the first week? It was great. It's good to be back. Good to be back at it. But yeah, I missed, uh, missed being on the pod with you guys. And hey, you know, before we get started on the landscape, particularly the Toronto landscape, I, I got to say, um, shouts out to Connor Murphy, regular on the show. Sean and I watched the Royal Rumble on Sunday, not together. We are in lockdown. Uh, we watched the Royal Rumble on Sunday. Uh, not normally people that watch wrestling in, in the year 2021, but gotta say, gotta say, Vince McMahon's a real piece of shit, but the product was pretty good. Pretty good, you know. 48 and 49 year old Edge took it out. Gotta say, it, uh, it brought me back. So, it, you know, it, watching that, it made me want to come on. Maybe you're eager to talk about everything, but 48, man, these guys still got it. I was definitely more entertained than I thought I would be. And, and Bruno, for sure, to come to quick, honestly, to the biggest pivot to the furthest end of the spectrum. Obviously, you come from broadcasting, you've spent time at the score, you've been at Sportsnet. There was a bombshell that came out. Ian and I addressed it two weeks ago about the breakup of Tim and Sid, about Sid going to breakfast television. I wanted to give you a little bit of a little bit of time off the top to talk about that, um, what that what that meant to you. And, you know, Ian and I were very glo- we were had major praise for the Tim and Sid brand. It's kind of what gave us the idea of doing something like this. And I wanted to give you, you know, a couple minutes just to, to talk about it. Sure. Yeah, that was absolutely huge. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't see that coming at all because those guys, the chemistry that they've built up over the last 20 years, going back to their days on the score, was just incredible. And you just thought that show was going to keep going forever. Right. And growing up, you know, loving sports, wanting to get into sports media, those two guys had a huge impact on my career and how I approach broadcasting to this day. And I, you know, I got a, a small chance to work with those guys while I was at Sportsnet for, you know, a year and a half. And I'll never forget essentially being in the same building as them, sharing the same dressing room as them. And, you know, it was pretty cool because a guy like me, you know, growing up watching the score and, you know, sort of idolizing these two guys and all of a sudden to like walk into the same change room and there's, you know, Tim McAuliffe and Sid Sixero. Right. It was pretty surreal to be able to work with them you know, even like I said, even though it wasn't really a long period of time and something I'll never forget, actually, this is kind of a cool story. We talked about this, you know, a little bit my first time on the show. When I won Gillette drafted back in 2013, I was still completing my final year at Ryerson. And I don't even know what class I was headed to. I was just sort of walking around the Ryerson campus, heading to my next class. 
And all of a sudden I get a phone call and I look down at my phone and I see Sid Sixero on the call display. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I, I just, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my God. So I, I just stop. I answer the phone and I'm like, is this actually Sid Sixero? And you know, he, he called to congratulate me and it was just so nice of him. You know, I had never talked to him before. We've never met, you know, he's, obviously was on the score forever. He used to host Gillette drafted uh, back in the day. And yeah, he took time out of his day to, to give me a, you know, a quick phone call and congratulate me. And that's something I'll just never forget. It's, you know, it's going to just be with me forever. And it was just one of those moments where you realize like, he's a good dude. And it's the same thing with Tim, you know, and like I said, I didn't spend a lot of time with these guys, but just being around them, the same thing that you see on television or that you heard on the radio, they're the exact same people in person which is really cool just two dudes that you can hang out with have a beer with they just everything that they've done over the last 20 years has really you know molded the landscape of sports media in this country and you know I'm really happy for for the future of both those guys obviously Sid on on breakfast television and Tim McAuliffe with whatever he continues on Sportsnet so yeah huge shout out to both those guys well, there, I mean, we talked about it, just Canadian icons and, you know, it was, a, it was a tough day, uh, but it was a good day because it shows people out there that when they start in sports media, no matter where you start and, you know, the, the score was a great place, harvested a ton of talent, um, but, you know, wasn't necessarily the mainstream and they turned themselves into what they are. And I think it's, they're, it's just so dope to see how far they've come. Bruno, With really that, sorry to cut you off, Ian, because I, I know we want to get there. But really quick, who do you think slides in? Is it, is it, uh, is it Ben? My money's Faisal Kamisa. That's my. That's I know my we guess. talked about that. I thought it might be him too. But you obviously know a lot of these guys. Who do you think is the best? Well, that's two different questions. Who you would choose and who you think they choose are two different questions. But I want to pose it to you quickly. That's really tough to be honest with you. I don't know if there's one person in particular that I. I could just pick off the top of my head. I mean, what it seems like they're going to do based on the press release and what they've talked about, it's going to be rotating guests for the next little while. Once Sid actually has his, you know, does his final show. Right. So, you know, you got Faisal, you got Arash Badani, you know, you got guys like Ken Reed and there's Carolyn Cameron. Like, I mean, who knows? They can go in, in a bunch of different directions with this. I, I don't know if I can pick one person. It's going to be, and here's what I'll say. It's going to be extremely tough to fill those shoes. And listen, they're all talented broadcasters, but going back to what I said with the chemistry that those guys have built, that is something extremely special and something that people don't realize like how difficult that is to, to develop. Because, you know, even, you know, think about like the three of us, right? Starting our own podcasts. And you guys have obviously known each other forever. You guys are brothers. <laughs> You know, even the podcast I just started with one of my good buddies, Michael Lapore, you know, as well as we know each other, it takes time to develop that on-air chemistry, right? So it'll be interesting to see um, how they fill Sid Sixero's shoes. That's for sure. Well, if I had any recommendation and they don't have to take it, nor should they or will they hear it, but I would go young. And the best way to keep that show as popular as it is with people our age is to not put a fossil up there next to Tim. And because part of the show's fun is it's 
um, it's candor, it's humor, it's use of pop culture, stuff like that. And you don't want to go with a fossil because then that goes away. So that would be my only recommendation. That's why I think Faisal will be absolutely amazing. He's He's been on there before. He's got chemistry with those dudes or Bennett too. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Donovan Bennett's also a solid option. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, Sean's get Anthony Bruno in there. Get Anthony Bruno Let's in there. Go. Well, there just because we boys, just because Bennett campaign. That's it. Well, I just thought Bennett's been a part of that show forever uh, since yeah. I. They were bringing him on when he was a running back at uh, was it McMaster or Western? I can't remember. But he was a running back Western, in, in, I believe it was. In one of those two schools that are really good at Canadian football, but uh, but yeah, Ian, I know we, we want so to jump speaking, to some real sports. Yeah, speaking of football, let's jump to th- there is a small football game this weekend. I'm not sure if you ever heard of it. It's called the Super Bowl. And maybe what may turn out to be the two greatest quarterbacks to ever live, although Mahomes has a long way to go, uh, but the trajectory is there. What are we talking about? We're talking about an MVP, a Super Bowl, and a Super Bowl MVP all in his first three seasons. Uh, I would say that's pretty good. He's on the track. So let's get to that game first. And and again, I don't want to be I, I don't want to be giving out picks or anything like that because you know I may have to save that uh, for a future installment, but. Since you're the guest, let, talk me through it. Where are you at with this game? What, what, you know, what are you looking for when you tune in on Sunday? I've been on the Chiefs essentially. I, I, I want to say even before the season started, I, I thought they were going to repeat. Obviously, you've seen what they've done this year. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football, and to be quite honest, Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. And when you watch this team play. And, you know, you saw it in last year's playoffs. They can get down by 10 points, by 17 points, by 20 points, and they're just never out of a game. And I remember the Bills game. You know, the Bills go up 9 nothing early against the Chiefs. And I, I, I tell my buddies in our little group chat, I'm like, it's just time to hammer the Chiefs. You got to hammer that live bet on the Chiefs. Because Absolutely. When with, even if, you know, even if they're down by two scores, it, it just feels like it's like a, a field goal sort of game, right? And just their ability to put up points at will. And I know Tampa's got a pretty stout defense. I like their run D. I like how the offense is operating. Brady's looked really good. Um, Obviously, they have a lot of weapons at wide receiver as well. But, man, oh, man, I think it doesn't really matter what defense is out there against Patrick Mahomes. I I think that team's going to put up 30 to 35 points. And the way that you beat them is you have to outscore them. So I've been on the Chiefs for a while. I think they're going to repeat. And I expect them to, like I said, have a very high-scoring game on Sunday. And if the Bucs want to stay in it, they got to score with them. You heard it here first. Pat Mahomes is good at football. Uh, This team is, when you look at just the balance, though, Anthony, you got to think Tampa's more balanced, right? Just with the overall you know, sheer dominance that that defense has portrayed in, in the playoffs. Like I've been on record. And again, I don't want to get too deep. Can't take away too many of my points heading into our Super Bowl podcast coming this week. But um, I, I would say this, they've really impressed me in the playoffs. They've had great numbers overall, but I found them to be inconsistent in the regular season. Whereas in the playoffs, it's just been like, no, no, we're, we're awesome. And they go to, they go to Lambeau, do that in the cold to that quarterback at this time in where he looked like the most dominant player in football. Hang so, on. Did they do that to Aaron Rodgers or did oh, I think LaFleur do that to Aaron Rodgers? It's definitely a Let's combination of real. It's definitely a combination of both, right? Uh, Rodgers Rogers was like 346 and three touchdowns. Again, 
but they made the stops when it mattered and they did they did not wilt when I thought that they would. I thought they would be uh, undisciplined. They weren't. I thought that they would be, um, that, that again, that they would come out strong and then fade and they didn't. They held it together. They made the stops when they needed to. And again, I'm not saying that, that I'm just saying if you just look at the Chiefs versus Tampa Bay, the more balanced team is Tampa, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I do think though that game came down to, at the end of the day, that game came down to the fact that Kevin King decided to stop playing <laughs> coverage on Scotty Miller to end the first half. And honestly, and Brady made a great throw. And yeah, Tampa deserves credit and, and all that good stuff. Right as soon as that happened, it was a wrap. It was a wrap. Because the Bucks' offense was good enough to get through. And by the way, and I know we're going to get to this later, playoff Leonard Fournette, that dude is real. He's catching out of the backfield. I love it. I mean, I, I don't know which way I'm going to go, but the only thing I will say on this podcast in particular is watching those linebackers cover Travis Kelsey is going to be amazing theater because there may not be two linebackers. I mean, Devin White's not great in coverage, but there may not be two linebackers more suited to cover Travis Kelsey than dudes like Levante David and Devin White. So I can't wait. This is like the two right teams are here. The two right teams are here. Still don't, I still don't know if I feel that way, but Bruno, we had you on not to talk about the, the Super Bowl. We wanted to get your pick, though. It is a big deal. So let's get to Toronto sports. And I'm going to guide this podcast a little bit, as, as I tend to do as the de facto you know, host, whereas Ian's much more colorful than, colorful than I am. So let's start with the Raptors. This oh, team... God. It's currently playing. Ian is recording. So if you do hear something on your phone, let's not let's not jump it out there and, and ruin it for him. Okay. Thank you. But this team started two and eight and has been, you know, prying away. They're now eight and twelve. They got a long way to go and we're past the quarter mark. We're running out of season. You can't say it's early anymore. What have we seen out of the Toronto Raptors so far that has you encouraged? since their start and let me say this if we had this podcast we were supposed to a week ago i'm sure pascal siakam would be a much larger topic of conversation on this podcast but if you go out and and drop an average of 31 in two games you buy yourself a little bit of forgiveness so bruno what up with the raptors it's been a very difficult season guys i mean especially after what happened last year right Kawhi takes off he goes to the clippers and a lot of people thought they, you know, were going to drop out of the playoffs. I, I should say a lot of stupid people thought they weren't going to be a playoff Correct. team. The smart <laughs> basketball and Raptors fans knew they were still going to be competitive. And they were really good last season, right? I mean, obviously, the bubble changed things and that threw a wrench into the entire season. You know, we even saw what happened in Milwaukee, how it seemed like, you know, coming, coming back and into the bubble, they were a totally different team. But then to see this Raptors team this season, and essentially the two main guys they lost were Serge and Marc Gasol, right? And that front court obviously took a big hit. And that's been an issue this year. The production from the front court has just not been there. Aaron Baines has not been good. Alex Len is now off the team. I mean, Chris Boucher has been awesome. And I think a lot of people expected Chris Boucher to to elevate his game this year, especially getting more minutes. You know, just what we've we've seen so many flashes from him over the last couple of years when it comes to his shot blocking ability, his ability to stretch the floor. 
you know, he plays with a ton of energy. I, I like a lot of things about Chris Boucher, but there's a glaring weakness in that front court. And I think the most glaring weakness of all with this Raptors team is they don't have that dude that you can rely on late in games in the fourth quarter to close out games when you're playing good teams, right? Wait, and Ka- it's Kawhi left? Really? I didn't know that. Oh, sorry. And, and I know last year they were able to overcome that, right? To a certain extent, obviously. Certain extent, yep. Come playoff time, we saw, you know, those things come up and, and it ended up hurting the Raptors, obviously, in that Celtics series. But but yeah, now you're seeing it more than ever. And, and listen, I Barely. like Fred Van Vliet. I like Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry and all these guys. But none of them are go-to guys. And I think the Raptors have to find a way to acquire somebody like that. And I think until that happens and until they address their issues in the front court, this team's going to sort of be stuck in no man's land like you're seeing right now. Go ahead, Ian. All right. So, yeah, so when Sean go. brings up the Raptors, when Sean brings up the Raptors, he knows he's throwing a live grenade uh, at my feet here. So let, let's discuss let's discuss where we are at, at this minute. And the one thing I will say about Let's start with Siakam. The growth with Siakam is his playmaking. Let's get him in more positions where he's running pick and roll or he's passing out of double teams and things like that. That's all good for him. The reason he's been so good lately, and they talked about this on the broadcast in the first half tonight, is because um, the average depth of his shot in the past two games against Sacramento and Orlando on Sunday, I think was six feet. In the previous games, it was 15. So yeah, we're talking give me about one of my points too. Good point. Yeah. We're, we're, we're talking about a player that is getting to areas where he can be more dangerous. If you want to take the open three when it's there, that's okay. But walk up threes, um, non-rhythm threes, it's it's not what his game is. His game is using that that burst and that length to get that extra at that extra advantage to reach to the rim. And I think what you're seeing from Siakam is that's better. And the defense is picked up, which is helpful. Let's get to the front court. Um, I want to be fair to Aaron Baines. The last week, he has been much better. And That's that, is started, that is started with his defense. Um, you've seen a little bit of the playmaking chops. He still sets great screens. I'd prefer if he never shot the ball ever again. But again, when your big guy's <laughs> working hard, you don't want to just take away his creativity. And that then I want to get to Boucher. That kick shot he has? Is, it's gross. I've, it's gross. Yeah, th- that stroke is. is it's atrocious. Like we have, we have, we have scissor kick Baines and like, <laughs> like basket throw Boucher, who's just over, like literally an overhead throw in soccer, which is just, it's wild. It's wild. Our uh, big shooting. And, and on Boucher, what we've seen is we've seen that what you expect from a guy that slight. It looks like he's because of his minutes, he's worn down a little bit. Um, shots you know, aren't falling the same that that'll come with, you know, with, with bigger minutes. And I think you're seeing the rebounding issue and the rebounding issue is, is a fair one, particularly on the defensive boards. He, he's, he simply doesn't get his done, get it done there. And that's where you miss playing him alongside Gasol or Abaca and the, in the forward role where he's not going to get crushed as much. But you said the question was what I, I just wanted to address those things, in the front court. You, the question was what up with the Raptors and what's up with the Raptors is, they have various tiers of players. So their good players are Lowry, Van Vliet, and Van Vliet's their best player, by the way. Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, right? And Ananobi. 
those you know for sure, for sure, are there good to very good to great players. Then you have its own tier, which is Mr. Norman Powell, who has been excellent lately, was really rough to start, but he is a very solid bench player, fifth option guy. You wouldn't put then Boucher, you have, you wouldn't put Boucher in that? Because I think that they no, it's been like the Boucher next was great while Norm was unplayable. True. And then Norm's been great while Boucher hasn't been very good. True, but I would predict that Norm is going to be more consistent than Boucher, particularly when you're sure putting that. him in the yep. role to score, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have the Boucher, which is the wildly inconsistent tier, and he's in a tier of his own. Then you have the adult role players who are inconsistent but lack experience. You're talking Yuta, you're talking Stanley, and you're talking Bembry. And Bembry, by the way, should be in the rotation. And then the rest of the players, and Baines is somewhere in there when he's playing well. The rest of the players are not good. So we're talking about four good players, a couple swing dudes, and then older rotation guys that don't or your purgatory of, of Davis, Thomas, Flynn. You just don't know. And, and, none of, and Flynn, yeah. Flynn, we're, we're yeah, saving. We're, we're yeah. going to think he's going to be good. You have two. It comes down to this. I, let me, let, I just got to be crystal clear. We don't have enough good players. And it's, it's just that simple. You don't have enough good players. You watched multiple, you've watched four key rotation guys walk out the door in the past two years and you haven't done anything to replace them. That's just what it is. It's a rockster construction issue. This is a Bobby and Masai issue. It's not to say that they're bad at it and they're not going to fix it, but that's what it is. So let's pull out our crystal ball here. Because Bruno, last week, I asked you to come come ready with a potential Raptors trade. I know it's been a week. Do you still have that ready? Because I would like to see where Anthony Bruno would like to spice this up. And it can't be going to get Anthony Davis for like Siakam and a couple first. Like they're not going to do that. So was there a trade that you thought we need to bring more good players here? This would help this team. I thought about this a lot, Sean, and you can go several different ways with this. Okay. And I think Ian might yell at me when I bring this up in a second, but <laughs> let me just say this first. Will so, you guys stop throwing grenades at my feet, please? I'm so, so excited. So obviously, we, we know they need help in the front court, right? Mm-hmm. But like I also said, and like we've just been talking about, they obviously don't have enough good players, and they need a dude. They need a go-to scorer who they can rely on late in games in the fourth quarter. And I, I'm looking at Zach Levine. Oh, my Bulls. God, Anthony. Okay, and and listen, I know Bradley Beal's name has been floated around. You're not getting You're not getting Washington it. sucks. Yeah. And, you know the juice to get him. You know, there's been a lot of rumors sur- surrounding Bradley Beal, and I thought about that a lot too, but I'm just having a difficult time seeing how a trade for Beal would work with the Raptors. But, but here's what I'm going to say about this Zach Levine deal, okay? And listen, the Raptors, at this very moment, there's certain players on the roster that they cannot trade, you know, based on guys that signed extensions, Sign extensions. and things like right. that, right? So, Ian's going to yell at me right now. He just no, no, elig- eligible I to be traded, you. okay? As great as he is, because I, I think this actually makes a lot of sense for both teams. Could you trade Fred Van Vliet in a package for Zach Levine? Hear me out on this. Hear me out on this. <laughs> for those, this is a podcast. Ian just left. Ian, Hear me Ian's out on gone. this for a second. Because when I look at this from the Chicago Bulls perspective, right? 
Levine's 25, Van Vliet's 24. They're the same age. The salaries match up. And I love Fred Van Vliet. Trust me, before Ian yells at me in a second, I think he's a fantastic player. But when you look at the trajectory of this team... He's our best player. How how are the Raptors ever going to get an impact player like that? They're not going to draft one, obviously, especially over the next couple of years, especially if they're stuck in no man's land, right? Um, there's no one on the roster who can develop and turn into that player. So I, I think that trade makes a lot of sense. And when I look at it from Chicago's perspective, Kobe White isn't really a traditional point guard. He's more of a two guard. He's probably better playing off the ball. And you add Van Fleet to play with Kobe White over there. And That's you give nice. the Raptors Zach Levine. Yeah, I like that. That's nice. Nice for Chicago. So give me your thoughts on that, gentlemen. Hold on. I, no, 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 no. You no, you stew. You stew for a second. This, I don't think uh, Van Vliet can be traded either. Not yet, because I think he signed his extension. Now it yeah, could I think be past it's like that early date. March. He's eligible. You could be right, but I think that there is a time for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing about this with Van Vliet is his defense. So while they are both, I would say Levine is is a more volume scorer than Van Vliet is. I don't think he's as an efficient scorer as Van Vliet is. The defense that Van Vliet provides to you in the backcourt is invaluable. And so I think that that's where they would see that. Now, what I, what I do find intriguing, and then Ian, you can jump in, is, the, is Levine's length and a score as a wing, not as a guard, which in the playoffs can provide value to you. So I like the direction, even though I like this. I, I know Zach Levine is a very nice man, I, like not against him personally, just as a basketball player. I've always been more critical of him. Ian, you're up. Zach Levine is objectively an epic score. Yes. An epic score. I mean, we're talking about a guy 42% from three on eight attempts. He's at almost 27 a game. Um, doesn't get to the line as much as you would have expected, but you'd have to think, you know, uh, part of that could be, you know, injury, injury related. He, you know, he's been banged up before. Um, he's an, he's a, an amazing free throw shooter. He, you know, he rebounds it. Okay. Um, he's not a lead guard, so it, so it doesn't, you know, it's not like the assists are there, but 27, five and five. I mean, that's hard to argue with. And again, the, the thing about Levine is he does fill a need and the need is, it's like, Hey, I just need a bucket, go get one. And that, that, that's an obvious, that's an obvious upgrade in that regard. And I, and I love Fred. I mean, I'm under the impression that if Fred was six, nine, he'd be a top 10 player in the league. I, I feel that. And, and as strongly today as I will any other day. You know, and the beauty of Levine is you don't have the finishing issues you have with with Fred. You know, Fred goes into the goes into the paint, and because he's so tiny, you know, it's just hard to score amongst the trees. With that said, I think the issue Sean is right about the defense. I mean, I think that Fred is is objectively an all defensive uh, an all NBA defender, and he's one of the he's one of the, and already he may be one of the what. In terms of guards in the East, is he one of the 10 best guards in the East already? Probably. If not, I mean, if not better than that. So the one thing I will say is that, you know, when you move out Fred, you lose amazing defense. You lose amazing leadership, his shooting, everything else. And look, like we're seeing Nurse at a point right now where like we're down 15 in fourth quarters and Matt Thomas isn't getting snips because he's not playing up to snuff defensively. And I just wonder... 
And again, I'm not yelling at you because Levine fits it. fits an honest need. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of his, but he fits an obvious need. Um, but what's nurse going to do when Lafine, the Lafine doesn't defend you, you can't move Fred out and then have nurse sit Levine on the bench because he's not playing defense. Like at some point it's like, you know, there's gotta be give and take here. There's no such thing as a perfect player. Levine would be a more interesting target for me next year when I know what's happening with Lowry, because if I can insulate Levine with Van Bleet, if Lowry walks, that to me is interesting. Hey, I don't need you to guard at a high level. I just need you to stand next to that team's worst offensive player. Just stand next to him. All of our other guys, including Van Bleet, Ananobi, Pascal, the elite, elite defenders, will insulate you. But I think if you move Van Bleet out and Lowry leaves and you're left with a Flynn-Levine backcourt, you're in deep shit. So I have to say, I don't mind it, I, but I feel like if any player on the Raptors right now is untouchable, it's Fred. He was so nice to you. And that's, that's what it's, that's what it is. I thought, I thought you were going to be a lot harder on me. We, we are very kind people. I'm objectively not a Levine fan, but he fills a massive need. And I do think to to be fair, I think if Chicago calls, I think, you know, Masai and Bobby hang up. I, I do think that that that's what they do. Now, if there was a deal around Norman Powell plus plus and picks for, for Levine, I think that they're, that they would obviously entertain that, but but why is Chicago? But why would Chicago that, do that? Right? right, right. He is. By the way, if, he's their best asset. Record, like, if I were the Knicks, here's RJ Barrett. Let's go. Wow, I think Chicago would do that too. Mm-hmm. RJ Barrett, you pair him with Kobe White, gives you a wing you need. You have your two, your young front court. It's RJ. I mean, you have to fill salary. So I don't know whoever else to fill salary. But with Levine and Randall, I got a lot of empty calories, but I'm going to score a ton of points. And I kind of <laughs> yeah. want to see Tibbs have a heart attack on the sideline. Well, what are your guys' thoughts, though, on, on this Kyle Lowry situation? Because obviously he has an expiring contract. And, you know, I thought a lot about that, extended. too. In terms he cannot of, be extended. In terms of where, you know, he could possibly get traded and, you know, different combinations of things and just matching up his salary with other players around the league that I've thought about. But... Yeah, what, what, because, you know, it's like you guys were saying, right? You move out, you move out Fred and you're stuck with a backcourt. I mean, let's say right now of Malachi Flynn and Kyle Lowry and Kyle Lowry, you know, could be out the door. What do you, what do you do with Kyle on this expiring deal in terms of thinking, where is this team headed in the next two to three years? I think they hold. And I'll let you enjoy. I think they do hold. They saw, listen, the DeMar thing worked because they won. They got they got the best player in the deal. Obviously, that was goes without saying. But they also won, so it bought them a lot of equity with the fans, and really made people forget that they that a lot of people were critical of them for trading. Who was the face of the franchise from you know for a long time? Um, I see him leaving. I do on his own terms in the off season. You know, I, I'd like to I think can live he, with that. Yeah. And, you know, you think he goes, I, I was like thinking maybe he goes back to Philly, but him and Ben Simmons have that history. They don't have the money. Does everyone end up in LA from the Raptors? Like, does he end up on the Clippers? Cause they need someone in the backcourt, but you got to think he's still going to want a paycheck. My bet would be that he leaves, but I would not be surprised if he stays, if they go out and do something creative in the off season to do something that builds their depth or potentially brings another impact scorer. I, I do. I think that I don't think it's like, he's absolutely gone. But we talk about betting. If, if we're betting, I'm betting he's leaving. The, there are only two scenarios where this team trades Kyle. 
scenario number one is Kyle comes to them and says, Hey, I really want to try and win one more title. Can you get me to one of these four places? Number two is someone comes and gives you a blue chip something. Now I'm not saying Michael Porter Jr. or anything at that level. Um, But if Miami calls and it's the Iguodala expiring precious and hero, I gotta, I gotta have a meeting about that. A meeting you're calling that into the, into the league office. No, because I'm not the biggest hero guy. I'm a big precious guy. I'm a big okay. precious guy. Oof, I like precious in, one a lot. Of my, in one of yeah. my dynasty leagues, uh-huh. let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have them too in that. And I and precious to me is like precious has the potential to have a Pascal type rise, I think, with his skill set. He looks very Pascal-y right now. And again, I mean Pascal's one of one. I just mean in general, I, li- I like precious. The the other spot is is honestly. You know, as long as, you know, all these dumb shits on Twitter. Hey, Clippers Twitter, fuck off with your bullshit Marcus Morris trades. I don't want that nonsense. None of us want that nonsense. They don't these, even want it. And they just gave him the money. For 60, I, I want $64 million of Luke Kennard or Marcus Morris. No, That's a no. Oh, that is a no. So it's not the Clippers. And if you're talking contenders, he makes a ton of sense in Philly. And, you know, can you get to that $30 million mark to match the salaries? It's probably, you know, um, you know, lots of Seth Curry. But if I can get Tyrese Maxey in something, I probably have a look at it. But again, I mean. What if it's Maxey and Harris? Maxey, Harris. I don't want the Harris money. But that's, I know. But they have to fit Lowry too. That's the issue. Yeah, but it's one year. The Harris money is so, and I, Harris has been objectively great for them this year. That Harris money is so toxic. So bad. Again, you know, can you get him on the Lakers? I, I just don't see the salary there or salary you want back. Because here's the thing. If you're the Raptors, you know, Masai Ujiri is still in charge, NBA Twitter, right? He's not taking back something bad to get rid of Kyle Lowry. Like, he could just take him and watch him leave and not have any of your stupid contracts on the books. He'll just wait and let him go and thank him for on the way out. But he's not going to take on any of your stupid money. So, uh, hey, you dummies on Twitter, either come to me with something real or get out of here with your bullshit Clipper trades. Ian's, Ian has become more prominent on Twitter now. So now he can yell at Twitter followers, I which is it. a great development. Um, but I did this on purpose. I put the Raptors first. So we had the right amount of time. And I followed it up with a game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we're going to let we're going to get some just we're going to get your thoughts on the lease. But I don't want to cut in on the game. And I want to start with it. It's buy or sell. Can I just say one thing? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know I have the game. I know I have the game paused, but I just had 8 million tweets come into my phone. Fred has 54. He set the franchise record for points. And I I was well aware he was going (laughs) off tonight. I didn't want to bring that up. So here's what we're not doing. We're not calling the Bulls. We're not asking about Zach Levine. And we're we're just going to forget that conversation ever happened. Does that sound good to you guys? 54 points. I'm I'm sticking with it. Zach 50, Levine, let's go, baby. Giddy up. 54 points in 37 minutes. He's hit 11 threes. <laughs> Just the, uh, he's the 11 for life. 14. No big deal. So buy or sell on the Toronto Maple Leafs here, Bruno. So we're going to start here. Ian, do you have them in front of you? Yeah. Perfect. So we'll go back and forth. I'm going to start with this one. The Maple Leafs overall team defense, buy or sell? 100% buy. I have been... So impressed with their team defense this year. Are, are we are, are we going through this like a rapid fire? No, you can we, explain it. Yeah, okay, yeah, take your time. okay. Yeah. So yeah, no, I 
I am so impressed with the way this team has played defensively. And listen, I'm, I'm not going to come on here and say, you know, they were like last season's Dallas Stars or the New York Islanders under Barry no. Trotz. But just to see the steps that they have taken to commit to playing a better defensive structure. And you just look at that blue line, right? Last year, trotting out Cody Cece on the top pair with Morgan Riley playing 20 minutes a night. Quite frankly, that was embarrassing. You, you essentially had a bottom pairing borderline AHL defenseman playing 20 minutes a night with your, with your best D-man. So he's out of the equation. TJ Brody comes in from Calgary. I love that guy. And he's not flashy. He's not going to light it up on the score sheet. He's not going to run the top power play unit. But he's just a calming presence back there. He's very efficient. He moves the puck out of the zone quickly. He doesn't make any mistakes. So right there, I, I, I really like that top pair. And then Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin. Fantastic. They've been great. Yep. I, I've been so impressed with those guys, both offensively and defensively. Justin Hall is actually stepping up offensively this year. That dude's nice. I believe he's like he's got like five or six points, which is five nice assists. to see. Yep. And then, and then you look at that bottom pair, right? Because again, think back to last season, the last couple of seasons, you have Martin Marinson out there for mm-hmm. 12 to 14 Don't. minutes a night, right? Equally as embarrassing as trotting out Cody Cece. So, so just to see how essentially the entire decor has been solidified. Now you have Dermot and Bogosian on that third pair and you add in a guy like Nico Lettinen, who I'm also very high on, who hasn't really been given a huge opportunity to play this year and show what he can do. Uh, so yeah, just in terms of the actual defense core, I really like what I've been seeing. And, and even from the forward group, I, I think they've, they've really made a commitment this year to, to become a better defensive team. And you're seeing it in the, in the numbers as well. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is the Leafs team from the past. They used to give up 30 plus shots a game and a million scoring chances and odd man rushes. So I, I've been, I've been really impressed. I would say, I think that you hit all the nails, the nails on the head. To me, you know, the, the fact that that Morgan Riley has a professional hockey player to play hockey with now is fantastic. Zach Bogosian, I was dead wrong. Just that he's been he's been like above average, which is for what he is fantastic. Yeah, he's going to get walked once a game for sure. He is. Yes, he might take a couple of bad penalties, but he's going to do it in a way that makes just makes it hurt when he does it. You know what I mean? And not in the way that we're used to, where it's like a stupid tripping penalty to like a hundred feet from the net. It's like, Oh, he cross-checked that dude in the face because he was clearing the front of the net. Yeah. Two minutes for don't do that. And yeah, that guy's not going to come to the net as hard next time. Um, I, I think that they, they have to figure out his left side. I don't think Dermot's done enough to lose the job. Um, in hasn't definitely hasn't done enough to win it. They still have Rasmus sitting there not playing, which I don't love. And especially with the Marlies not playing that this could be an issue. So I think, yeah, and, and what helps overall team defense is when your top two centers actually give a shit and play defense. And the, the fact that Austin Matthews has learned how to play in his own zone and be, has become one of the better centermen in the NHL at it is a revelation. Again, all of that is dependent on if he's actually trying. But when he is, he is dominant in his own end. And I think that's that's really important. Ian, do you want to jump to the next one? Or you got a thought on this? Hot take, cold take. Medium take. So is it spicy? Is it medium? Is it honey garlic? Letting is better than Dermot. Uh, well, it would be a hot take because it's wrong. I, listen, 
I'm the captain. Yes, of sir. Levin Let's fantasy. go. Okay. And I, I think he is better than Dermot. And listen, I don't think we have totally seen everything that he's capable of doing. And listen, I, I've watched a lot of YouTube highlights, so you can make fun of me for you know judging Nico Lettinen on that. But we're talking about the best defenseman in the KHL who was leading the KHL in scoring among defensemen over the last one and a half years. He was, he was leading all D-men in scoring this season before he came over to join the Leafs for training camp. And they're slowly just easing him in, easing him in, right? Giving so him it's Honey Garland. Letting him run the second power play unit. And, and I think the more ice time you give him, and, and I really like his composure with the puck. I, I like what I've seen from him. And when it comes to Dermott, Sean, I know you said like he hasn't really done anything to lose the job, but like, what has he done to impress you? Well, Travis Dermott for a top six forward, call it into the league. See ya. Ooh, this is the thing. I think the idea of Miko Lettinen is very tantalizing. He is a very, very good offensive defenseman. He hasn't looked completely out of place in his own zone. However, he has had a few blunders, as hockey players tend to do from time to time. I just think that Dermon's been solid. I, you know, I, I just think that with his speed, he's more physical. He's got a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder. Uh, his gap control is fantastic. Yes, him, him holding the puck at the blue line and shooting it directly into a, a player's stick or, or shin pads just rattles the living hell out of me when all he has to do is either A, shoot it at two seconds earlier, or B, hold it a half second longer, and he's totally fine. But I just think that if you're investing in an asset, it's not the 27, 28-year-old Miko Lettinen. It's the 23-year-old Travis Dermott. Now, is he the more valuable asset right now? Probably. Is Miko Lettinen good to have in your roster? Absolutely. You, you, we already know you need like 9D deep at least and in a hockey season to remain competitive. The fact that we have one who we think is all good, who has not seen the ice yet, is a good problem for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, I, again, I'm also buying the overall team defense. Is it the best in the NHL? No. To your point, Bruno, you said it right off the top. It's not. But compared to last year, and the, the stiffs, like Tyson, like we watched Tyson Berry when we, we've played him four times now. Seeing him shoot a slap shot seven feet wide and getting hemmed in his own zone was amazing to watch when that he's guy, not on your that team. Guy is, that guy is all <laughs> levels of ass. And yet he's a great guy. And like you hear him on interviews, he, he takes accountability for last year. It's like, I want to root for him, but only against Montreal because we need you to beat them. Ian, let's get to the next one. All right. So, is this spicy, medium, or honey garlic? Ready? Okay. The Leafs' five-on-five scoring is ass, and it's going to bite them there in the playoffs. No, that is that is so cold. So, that is freezing cold because – and listen, the five-on-five the five offense has not been there. Um, they've actually just outscored their opponents by one goal at five on five. I believe it's 17, 16. And when you just look at this team over the last, okay, let's, let's just say in the Matthews era, they've been one of the best five on five scoring teams in the NHL. And, you know, it it has been a little bit concerning early on. He's been the best scoring five on five player since he entered the league. Exactly. It's not even a team. The entire NHL in in five on five goals. goals, Right. And, and we've seen how dominant this team can be offensively. So, yes, is, is it a little concerning that at five-on-five five they haven't hit their stride? Yes. And maybe that has something to do with, you know, some of the new lines they've put together with some of the guys that have come in in the offseason. 
but I fully expect this team to get back to the same level they've been at the last few years. So, so I think that'll come and I don't know, maybe it has something to do also with their new commitment. Let's call it to playing a better defensive game. But when you see the talent on this roster led by the best five on five goal scorer in the NHL over the last four plus seasons, I think it's going to be just fine. All right. Next one here. We've changed the game. It's now spicy, medium, or honey garlic. And Let's the way go. that it, the way that it's it runs Super Bowl is, week. Who wants way, wings? The way that it runs is if you strongly agree with the take, it's spicy. If you if you kind of agree with it, it's medium. If you definitely don't, it's honey garlic. So it's Super Bowl week. Let's get some wings, some wing sauces in here. The Toronto Maple Leafs overall forward depth is going to be an advantage for them moving forward. Spicy, medium, medium or honey garlic. Medium. Let's go medium. Because it, to in in fairness, it has been spicy. They have been getting a lot of of production, especially goals from their forward depth. But I, I think I agree with you here, and I, I actually might even be leaning more honey garlic on this one. Yeah, and and when I look at the Leafs' forward depth, and yeah, I know if you look at the numbers right now, you know they're getting contributions throughout the entire lineup, right? But when I think about the playoffs. And, you know, even what I saw in the playoffs last season against Columbus in the qualifying round, the secondary scoring was completely non-existent. And I get it. They've brought in new guys this year, like Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton. But when I look at this team, at the end of the day, they're only going to go as far as their top guys take them. They're only going to go as far as Matthews, Nylander, Marner, and Tavares take them. And I think come playoff time, yes, you do need secondary scoring. But those guys are going to have to do the heavy lifting. And, and when you look at the Leafs, you know, depth players, they're, they're solid. They're fine. Is it blowing me away when I go look at their roster and I go look at all four lines? Am I like, wow, this is the deepest forward group in the NHL? No, but I, I don't think they need to be. So, yeah, mo- moving forward, I, I'm not going to totally, um, you know, get too excited about the depth scoring that we've seen so far, I, I think they're just going to go as far as those big guys take. I agree with you hundred percent. I'm <clears throat> definitely honey garlic on it. And I do still wish that they had a asshole fast line somewhere in their bottom six, which they don't, they have a couple of those players, but they don't have that line where it's like, Oh my God, even though they're not going to generate much offense, it's just like, why do I have to go against these guys? I agree with you. Ian, why don't you get to the next one here? Okay. Well, if, by the way, first thing I want to say on, on the offensive depth, I mean, y- you can't be anything but impressed with how McCabe has played lately, um, how Simmons has looked. I mean, you know, those guys are signed. They, those guys aren't getting paid dick, and they've been as good as you could hope. Well, so right, right now it's spicy. I just think, and I think you agree with me, Anthony, the overall outlook going you'd like to have one more you'd be. like to have one more you'd like you'd like to have one more forward so that way if you can if you can flip Dermot for a forward you're probably pretty happy um all right this one sucks it hurts but here we go frederick anderson's going to be the reason that the leafs lose early ooh ooh okay i'm going to go i'm going to go honey garlic um so so you don't sound with- confident. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the thing with Freddie Anderson. We've seen, you know, him, we've seen him in the playoffs now for what, four plus years, five years. He's yeah, had some really terrible moments in those Bruins series. 
But guess what? Last season against Columbus, I know he let in a couple soft goals in the qualifying round, but he was pretty outstanding in that series. That second goal in game five was one of the worst goals I've ever seen. Well, that's, I'll, I'll give that's you that. remember that that's Freddie in uh, that's Freddie in closing games though. Like he always does that shit. He's always had one. I, but I, I, just I think, think I think you said I think Bruno his he still had like a nine seventeen save percentage. The problem was Merzlikens and Corpusalo had like a nine thirty. Yeah, we're Dominic Hasek in his prime, basically, yes. right? Yes. And I, I just think Freddie just has to be fine. Just just be okay. I I, I don't need you to be the best goalie in the NHL. I need you to be, give me 910 to 915 as, as your save percentage. Don't blow games. Don't let in stupid stuff goal. I, I think Freddie's going to be fine. I, I don't think he's going to be the reason that the Leafs, you know, lose in the first round to, I don't know, the Vancouver Canucks this year. Like, I just, I, I just don't, whoever they play, right? I, I just don't think Freddie's going to be, and listen, if Freddie doesn't play well, and I know Jack Campbell's injured right now, but we've seen Jack Campbell actually perform pretty solidly in the you know limited number of games he's played over the last couple of seasons. So they always have that to fall back on. But but I think Anderson's going to be fine. I'm medium on it, and less so about the goals that he has given in, as in the total amount. It's about the ones he does let in and the timing. It's just he always feels to to let in the one that just kills you. We finally have some momentum, and then it's like, oh shit! In the playoffs, anyways, he still is like he's played better. He's still as like an eight ninety two save percentage, which is atrocious. So worse than, I think it's, that it's it's worse than Holtby. Just for the record, I just think that we all need to be <laughs> not cautiously optimistic, like cautiously pessimistic about the situation. We want him to do well. We cheer for him. We want. We've seen him. Ha- he has the talent, and when he's dialed, he is dialed. I'm medium on it. Let's get to the last one. I was going to go, do they have a trade to make? But I think that that's just, of course they do. This is not a sounding. This is not a perfect team. So I'm going to go with this one. Montreal Canadians are the best team in the North division. Spicy, medium, or honey garlic. Okay. Well, first I'm going to say this heading into the season. I thought the Habs were like the fifth or sixth best team in the Canadian division. I really did. I was not sold with some of the things they did in the off season. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go medium on this. Okay. Okay. Because I've been really impressed with the way they've been playing so far, but saying that I am not ready to crown this team because this is what they remind me of. Okay. I look at a team like the New York Islanders, okay? And just how they're constructed and how they have a great defensive system in place and buried trots and good goaltending. But what's the ceiling of a team like that, right? What What's that team ceiling? They can win one playoff series, well, two playoff series. Is that team going to win a Stanley Cup? Well, the, the, way co- the conference finals probably. I think the Islanders showed you that, you know, you, you can squeak your way there. But I think, I think Montreal is better than New York. I also believe that I also believe that it, there is no question that they are the best team in the North. I the 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 Tofoli the Tofoli Anderson thing is turning out to be an absolute coup, and you know Shea Weber still being this mean and hurtful and amazing is incredible. And with Carey Price getting rest, 
they're going to be a real fucking problem. Oh, they're, bla- they're problem. definitely going to be a problem. And you and I both oh. had a, we, you and I both had Montreal in our top three in the North division. Yeah. And I am medium as well. And by I the way, think- Julianne can really coach. Oh, we, I, I know we've forgotten about that. Claude Julianne can really, really coach. I think, I think that they have been the best team in the North division and they should have beat the Leafs. They were the better team that night. Um, and I know everyone's on that they played Vancouver a bunch of times, but yeah, the Leafs played Ottawa twice, and and they're they're atrocious. So, God, was I wrong about that team? Um, but I, I'm medium. I'm medium. I, 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 I'm interested to see if they have enough scoring to keep this up. They obviously have the goaltending tandem. Jake J, Allen's been fantastic, and their defense is really really good. Romanov has been very good for them. So this, the scary part is, is they have the juice. That if they want to go chase someone scary, they can. Well, and they decided that Nick Suzuki was better than than the idea of Dubois, which is I don't think they're too far off there. And Suzuki's been fantastic. But, but, but that's I think what I mean. they missed out on on Pierre Luc Dubois. I think that would have been the perfect guy to insert in that lineup and say, listen, we're here and we're ready to win everything. Because I still think they're missing ge- that that high end talent, and and I love Nick Suzuki. I think he's going to be a great player. But mm-hmm. when you stack that team up, and I don't want to sound like a homer here, but I I think the Leafs are better than Montreal, and I know I, Montreal's been playing great. But if you're telling me who's going to be the best team at the end of the season, who's going to go deeper in the playoffs? Right now, I I think it's the Leafs. I really do. The, the, the scary part about Montreal is that you get to line two, and you're like okay, I got to go get these guys. Then line three comes out and you're like, their third line has this guy. And then you get to their fourth line. You're like, oh, I don't want to play against this group. And it's just nonstop, right? Baby, I think the baby brooms. Someone, the baby brooms. Yeah, I think trading for someone like Dubois, you're probably hurting that depth because you just don't have the high-end mm-hmm. score like someone like Line, who I think is criminally overrated to begin with. Um, and it's going to ask for a ton. I, I, I'd like to see, again, I, I think I think they're a trade away, but they can go get someone with real, real juice. And I'd love to see them get a center. I think it'd be fun. The league's more fun when Montreal's good. I think the, the Toronto and Montreal are unequivocally the two best teams in the Canadian division. I think Toronto is better built for the regular season. Whereas if I'm a team... And I have to deal and because I think the most imposing force on both teams in a playoff series is Shea Weber, just what he can do physically and right. just how he can dictate play on the ice. Whereas I, that should be Austin Matthews. And he was last year against Columbus. He was incredible against last year against last year against Columbus, but Shea plays 30 minutes a night. And you know, that, and we have Carey Price as well, which again, you don't worry about Carey. I just how the hell does Shea Weber still play this much? I don't know. Is he man. I don't an know alien? But we it's we crazy. only got we only got five minutes here, and Bruno, Bruno, we have to talk about the Jays. Literally, the night we were going to have the podcast, they signed Marcus Simeon. Like it was it was fate. Well, I guess the opposite of fate is what it was because we should have been able to talk about it. So let's get here. They in the offseason, they've acquired Tyler Chatwood, Kirby Yates, George Springer, and Marcus Simeon. They also appear to be an, on every single baseball player with a pulse from Anderson Simmons, who I believe is signed already, James Paxton, Justin, ba- Justin Turner, Trevor Bauer, and, and that's a conservative list. So really quick, what do you think of the signings? 
And where do they go from here? Because you have to think it's pitching. I've been so impressed with, with what the Jays have done in this offseason. And, you know, you just think about last season, and I think we all thought that the rebuild was just going to take longer. And then, you know, the postseason rules change. They say, all right, 16 teams because of COVID. And look at the Blue Jays sneaking in as the eighth seed in the American League. You know, the kids played well. Hyunjin Ryu was top three in Cy Young voting. So. Absolutely. But, but when I look at this team, and, and I love the addition of George Springer and Marcus Simeon, I think that lineup is going to be incredible. And, you know, we're still waiting for Vlad to take the next step. You know, Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio have been really good, but I still think the, the linchpin and the key to all this is if Vlad can really hit that next level and be the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. we're all expecting him to be. I so, agree with you yes. 100%. Imagine he's Fernando Tatis like he was last oh. year, which is what he was projected to be. This entire lineup is different. Oh, it's, it's, it's okay. game over. Okay. Okay. Vlad is not going to be Tatis. Let's take a breath. I, I get, I'm not saying that he is, but if we, if he, this was the best prospect in baseball history. But Tatis may already be the best player in the National League. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I'm just saying like, okay. Uh, yes. If if Vlad had become what Tatis became, which I is what everyone said, it would change the I entire understand. lineup. So if he becomes 85 to 90% of what that is, which is what Aunt Bruno and I are talking about more so, that changes the complexity of this lineup. Yes, Ian, you're right. When, He's not going to be Tatis because Tatis is one of the three best players in baseball, but that was like, he was the Messiah coming out of AAA. I was hitting yeah, like 420. I agree. <laughs> well, and again, look, I, to me... I think you have to be nothing but impressed. I mean, the Springer signing is massive. It is a it is a monumental moment in a franchise's history that's had a ton of success, let's be honest. You know, when Springer was doing his damage, and I'm a Red Sox fan, and I've said this to Jays fans before, I would we saw Houston in the playoffs. And Springer, you know, I'd see uh Beltron, wasn't worried. Um, I would see Altuve, Even sometimes Bregman. Altuve. I wasn't worried. I was concerned, but I wasn't worried. I'd see Springer and Bre Bregman, and I'd shit my pants. I'd see Correa wouldn't care. I'd see I'd see those two dudes. I'd shit my pants. Now they were cheating, but again, Springer is a terrifying, terrifying player to play against, particularly in October. And that's exactly what this team needs. And I think to turn on that identity, your guys' point about Vlad is exactly right. The more you insulate Springer with good hitting, the scarier that man becomes because when he comes up to the plate, you just can't fuck around with him. And he is going to flat out punish you. Springer is a petrifying, petrifying. I'm a Red Sox fan. That dude scared the shit out of me two years in a row. And the one thing I will say is that, and, and then I want to get back to Bruno here on what his favorite addition would be if he could pick anyone to go get. They need one or two more arms. I, I'd love a, sure. a vet. I'd love a veteran flyer on a guy, but then I'd love for them to go get a, a, an impact arm. Because again, I, I think Ryu was great. Um, I think you really have something in uh, in Nate, but you need another impact arm. And you cannot, under any circumstances, rely on Tanner Roark in your rotation. So whether that means you go get Taiwan Walker. You know, Taiwan Walker plus 
Paxton, we have something. But you, you, you really need, like, there are pieces to be built here. I know there are some people out there that are planning the parade route, and Sean and I know one of them very, very closely. Oh, my. A, a jab at the brother stands. So, again, plan the parade route all you want, but there's work to do. So, Bruno, let me ask you. You can add anyone in the offseason within reason, okay? Obviously, you'd love to add Clayton Kershaw, okay? But that's not happening. Who are you adding to this group? Well, like you said, they need an arm. They need a starting pitcher real bad because as much as I like Hyunjin Ryu, I don't think he's a true number one. And I'll tell you why, because he's just he's just not a power arm, right? Mm-hmm. He's a dude that's going to throw 91, 92 miles an hour with excellent control. He's going to put up great stats. But we saw what happened to him in that race series, right? I mean, he got lit up in that final game. And Nate Pearson, who I think, you know, looks like he's going to be awesome. You know, he still has a lot to prove, obviously. So we're still waiting for him to come along and be, you know, the horse at the top of the rotation. I mean, ideally, and I know the ship has probably sailed on this and Ross Atkins said, you know, like, you know, our heavy lifting is done. I mean, I think they should have gone after Trevor Bauer. And I know they just gave George Springer $150 million. But I think the Jays need an arm like that to lead this rotation, especially seeing how the lineup is constructed right now. If you could add a player at that sort of level, and, and I know that it's probably unrealistic at this point, but it's like you were saying, Ian, yeah, like, do you go get Taiwan Walker? Um, yeah, sure. But does that, you know, put this team over the edge? Because you look at the rotation now with Robbie Ray and Tanner Roark, you know, at the back end, like that, stripling's not great. Stripling is in the rotation right now. Ross Stripling as well. That's a really good point. But we've seen now over the last number of years that if you want to make a deep run in the postseason, you need elite pitching. I mean, it's just we've known this forever, right? And the Jays just don't have that at this point. I don't think they're going to slug their way to a World Series. So they they got to find a way to add an arm like that. Um, I don't know if they're going to do it via trade. I don't know if they're going to sign somebody else. Maybe they're just hoping Nate Pearson runs away with it this year and unlocks all the potential and all that talent we know that he has and that we've seen in small glimpses, but they got to find a way to bring in another impact starting pitcher. Absolutely. And at the very least, two decent ones, just to push the stripling Roark thing. Like, I never want to see Roark on the mound again. All right. I don't, I don't need that. And he doesn't even want to be here anyways, but doesn't have, uh, He's we don't have that luxury. So we want to end here. Plug your podcast. Gluttons for Punishment. Great name. Great host. What's going on in the Gluttons for, Pod- for Punishment podcast, Bruno? Well, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, so me and my good buddy, uh, Michael Lepore, and shout out Michael Lepore for actually coming up with the name of our podcast, which I really liked. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've known each other now for a while. We actually go back uh, to our drafted days on the score. That's how we met. And we're both big-time Leaf fans, um, obviously big-time hockey fans. And, you know, the us have, have always loved the Leafs. And we thought, why the hell not? Let's just start a podcast like everybody else. So we decided to come together. It's called Gluttons for Punishment. You can find us on Apple spotify google wherever you listen to your podcast we're on youtube as well just type in gluttons for punishment leafs podcast and we'll pop up there so um we're about four episodes in 
hoping to get to the level that you guys are at from the stands. You guys are what 50 plus deep now. Episode 54. Yep. So yeah, we're, we're hoping to keep pumping out some content and uh, yeah, I would really appreciate it if you check us out, especially if you're a Leaf fan and, uh, and you like hockey. Well, our DMs are open, eh, Bruno? You know, you can you can throw a little invitation to the, the stands way, huh? Okay, I, li- I like that idea. A little little collab coming in go. the little, future. Yeah, a little collab. I'm happy to come on the podcast and talk up Montreal. Sounds great. Oh, that that's actually exactly what we need. We need we need someone to come at us from a different angle. So I actually that's I think you're on to something there. So we want to we want to sign off the podcast with someone who's very important to Ian uh, when it comes to sports has now retired. So I wanted to give Ian a minute on who well it came out this week that uh, that dustin bedroya retired and i Ooh. know that i speak for everyone that has watched baseball particularly in the american league east that you may hate the red sox and that's fine i understand there's lots to hate us for uh but dustin bedroya wasn't one of those reasons he was a pleasure to watch he was a guy that draws people to baseball. He was undersized. He was quirky. Um, he was balding at like 25. And his power and his, you know, how infectious he was, it, 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 made, it made me love baseball, watching Pedroia. And I know his career didn't end the way it should. It should have ended the way, you know, it – Pedroia was on a was on a pace to maybe touch the Hall of Fame, maybe even get a sniff. But you know he didn't have that late career boom that you see from people. But people need to understand just how great Dustin Pedroia was. MVP, Rookie of the Year, um, three World Series championships, and none of it happens without him. And I'm gonna miss him. I'm gonna miss watching him at second base. And the most fond moment I have with Pedroia is watching him in that 2013, 2013 run with all the beards and um, him and Victorino just being a great pair. And look, I, Dustin, I know you're not listening, but I love you anyway. And thank you for making me and Red Sox fans like me and baseball fans like me love baseball and be able to tolerate the Red Sox. So thank you, Dustin. I can second that. He was one of those players that, Obviously, I hated because he played for the Red Sox. But every time that the Jays were eliminated, I'm like, I can't hate this guy. He's just, he plays. Is there a right way to play baseball, Bruno? I don't know. But it just felt like he was one of those guys. Like, he shouldn't be as good as he is. And and then he was. Felt that way about Altuve until very recently. But Pedroia, I always cheered for him. Um, Always killed us. Always. And was terrified every time he came to the plate. Him, honestly, him and Brett Gardner are two the two players oh, that I've never been more Gardner. afraid of someone who came to the plate than them. And it's not because they were going to hit a home run. It's because they were never getting out. Do you want to say something about Pedroia as we sign off here? Yeah, he, you guys nailed it. I mean, he's just a dude that played his ass off. And year after year, you just knew exactly what you were going to get from Dustin Pedroia. And, you know, even in his MVP season, like to see a dude like that win the American League MVP – just unbelievable absolutely insane so yeah an amazing career um nothing but great things to say about that dude anthony bruno thank you so much for coming on good luck with the podcast we are awaiting our invitation ian please sign us off of the podcast thank you mr bruno we appreciate it um i'm glad i didn't yell at you because i actually find you to be a very nice human and i didn't want to be mean 
but everyone, make sure you check out his podcast. Give it a follow. Give it a listen. Subscribe. You're not going to regret it. And hopefully we can uh, hopefully we can get something going in the future. Again, apologies for the hiatus. Um, employment was, uh, you know, it, adulting was sort of getting in the way a little bit here. But guys, be safe out there. It's getting crazy. Um, and as always, wear your mask.